the broadcast, the biggest podcast in Vancouver, pretty much. We participate in light misandry. Get out of here with that. <laughs> Sexism. All of our societal structures are designed in ways to inherently prejudice women. Coach's Corner was kind of like my bathroom break. I don't like to be bamboozled. I think it's amazing what you guys are doing. I mean, I'm having a lot of fun. Hey everyone, welcome to the Broadscast. Uh, we have a very special edition of the Broadscast this week. We're doing something totally different. Um, it, we are doing a very cool roundtable uh, pitched to us by Gabby, who you might know on Twitter at Hockey Nuisance. Um, and we are talking to a amazing panel of fans of color, and we're going to do a pretty exciting chat about what we think are the issues with hockey media, what we see as solutions and what we as fans of color uh, want to see from this sport that has been so disappointing in so many endless ways. Um, so I'm just, I'm going to hand it off to Gabby and then we'll go around and have all of our panelists introduce themselves. Yeah. Hi everyone. So um, I actually came to this at Susam in Georgia a couple of months ago, uh, asking to um, maybe do something like this. I just wanted an opportunity to to kind of bring in new voices. You know, I love learning from all the young folks on Twitter all the time. Uh, I'm apparently Perry today was like, <laughs> I can tell your age by how you use Google Docs, and I was like, excuse you. <laughs> so you know, I wanted to give you know, um, I've had a lot of really awesome people um, kind of open the doors for me in hockey, and I wanted to kind of start kind of reciprocating that energy um for uh for other folks so um I guess I can just introduce myself my name is Gabriela Ugarte uh, I write uh to Hockey with Love um and I'm I'm involved in like a couple of other uh, hockey projects across the, uh, across the sport doing the uh, um and I'm joined here by uh four other amazing folks who are also doing uh work in the sport and so I'm just gonna give them a chance to, to introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. My name is Marina Garces. I am from NHLs, which is a Brazilian website run by women. And I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, hey, I'm Haley. Uh, I currently write for two publications. One is for my school newspaper for the culture and sports desk. And then I also write for um, a digital sports publication called The Jersey Column. Uh, and I have my own blog called Unfinished Business, where I kind of just talk about sports discourse and how race, sexuality, gender, stuff like that kind of impact how we look at sports. Hi, um, I'm Perry. So I'm the other writer of To Hockey With Love. And I'm currently an Emmy student, so I don't have much time to immerse myself in the sport. But when I do, it's that little newsletter. Hey, y'all. Um, I'm Silvia. I am a, a student. I'm studying journalism um, and culture and media, um, finishing off my senior year and just talking about hockey discourse all the time on social media. Awesome. Yeah, so... Um, we I've been looking at kind of the work that you guys have been doing online for over the you know, past couple of months or, or years. And I just like, I really kind of loved all the stuff that you guys are doing and, and talking about. And so uh, I'm really honored that you guys are, are, are choosing to, you know, chose and agreed to, to do this. And also thank you to Sam and the rest, the rest of the broadcast for, for, for giving us the space. 
um, and the Roth campus all have also been really awesome at giving folks uh, the space to, to talk about important uh, and you know different issues in, in hockey. So yeah, I think this is going to be a really a really good discussion. Um, so yeah, let's just kick off with like kickstart the, the conversation. You guys can pitch in wherever you want. Um, I'm like, kind of like, what is the big, like, what are the issues uh, in, in hockey media? You know, in, in a lot of ways, I think everyone on this platform, as much as we say you're up and coming voices, I think you, you're you all much more well-versed in this than than I am. Uh, just as a casual fa- fan, or, well, I guess not so casual fan, but just, you know, as somebody who's grown up watching this sport and started thinking more about these issues in the last few years um obviously hockey media is super homogenous like all the writers kind of you know they're all cisgendered white men for the most part there's like a handful of of women writers but it's there's really no diversity in in the institution of hockey media much like hockey itself um and so for me that's that's kind of the foundational issue right when you don't have different voices, different viewpoints, different backgrounds examining the sport, everyone's coming at it from the same angle. So in a lot of ways, that's as a foundational problem, there's people don't know what their blind spots are. And when they, even when they are aware of what they are, they don't know how to address them. And there's very little learning going on. And I think there's a lot of defensiveness, even just from, you know, I think, you know, Gabby, you do a lot of educating on social media and for the most part I always find it disappointing disappointing but not surprising that the people you're trying to educate are not receptive to it like they just get super defensive and they shut they shut you down and they block you and like to me that's the most disappointing part yeah um yeah it's definitely I think when we look at hockey as a as a kind of a closed institution um, hockey media kind of it really does plays its role in keeping that institution closed and kind of you know period pointing something out earlier it's like a lot of the times they're talking you know like these issues come up and a lot of the times they're also learning as as they're trying to talk and, and communicate about these issues and so it's always there's always like a shortcoming and it's always a little bit off and when you know harder questions come you know when you have to oppress them harder issues they just they just kind of fall apart um, and, you know, they just choose not to, to ever, you know, address them um, again. And I think that there's also just, I don't know if anybody wants to add anything else. Yeah. Sort of piggybacking off of that defensiveness. I can understand if you just don't get it, but the idea of like someone explaining it to you and you still not wanting to listen, that's where you lose me. And I have noticed that people in general who are less, marginalized they see any criticism on the way they take in media and the way they communicate as like an attack on their whole life and it's like if you just listen (laughs) it wouldn't have to be this constant back and forth fight that they seem to like to partake in yeah like this idea of like white supremacy culture and like the right to comfort right where you where you kind of they exist in the space where they don't ever have to feel uncomfortable right and if they feel uncomfortable it's bad and, and we shouldn't have to do that to them um and it's it's sad because like I feel like we never get we get we never get anywhere when we're talking about these issues in the sport 
I also feel like it's very common for them to just push the diverse, diversity agenda when it's convenient and then forget all about it once it's over. So you have Pride Month and then they forget about it. You have Black History Month and then they forget about it later. And you only get representation on those specific dates and on those months at like broadcasts and I mean, extensive co coverage in general. Yeah, like February 28th and like March 1st, like, all right, we're done. No more talking about Black people ever again. Um, Perry, what's kind of like your perspective as like a French Canadian, as, as someone from, uh, from Montreal? Um, <laughs> that's a kind of loaded question because I feel like there's different layers between like Quebecers in general as like we're really behind in terms of diversity point blank and like I'm working personally on uh, representation in uh, broadcasting in community media so I or, see the difference how like as much as the rest of Canada I'm putting that in quotation is more events it's still not where it should be so like imagine you take Quebec who's like 10-15 years behind all that so I feel like that kind of perspective like we don't get really media talking about racism that way in Canada um in Quebec sorry but yeah um but we do have anything on it yeah I wonder maybe if the or if the issue really is the wording because I feel like for the longest time we've talked about representation and wanting representation and they hockey media and hockey the hockey world in general sees these months and these specific like dates these bookends as representation and I think what really is missing is space for people rather than representation because representation can be led by anybody right you can have you know your social you're all white most likely all female social media team leading this representation for um other people of color but there's no space for people of color to be leading these movements. Um, and I think that's where like the problem really begins because we can argue about representation and they'll be like, you have a month, you have a week, you like, there's merch there, but like our voices aren't being heard, you know, in, in these huge spaces, like we're not in the media rooms. We're not in these teams where we can also be adding to the conversations and elongating these processes of representation. And I also think that in a lot of ways, they sort of give a platform to um, racist and xenophobic discourse in general. Um, and they don't face accountability for that. And as, as you said before, um, when we try to educate them, they just shut us out. And that's very problematic in my point of view. Yeah, I think like the existing, um, like, okay, just to like full disclosure, I have like beef with the Professional Hockey Writers Association. It's a one-sided beef, <laughs> on my end. But I just think that like having just even weak, weak systems, like a, like an organizational, um, like an organizational level is also so problematic because yeah, you're right. They don't get, nobody's checking them. There's nobody in their circle that's like, yo, maybe you should have said that. Or like, maybe you should take the time. And so it's just like this 
Like they're just like stuck in the same cycle and it's so hard, especially especially when they're not listening. So uh, the first thing, like the way that we just kind of divided this is we wanted to talk about like, go a little bit, dive a little bit deeper into these problems and then talk about like the solutions. Um, so what, in your opinion, you guys are come from different communities. Um, what are some of the, what does hockey media get wrong when it comes to like addressing racism in the sport? Like we know like on overall on the overall level like they get it wrong but like what are like the specific instances that stick out to you I can start um I think for me is not thinking about their audience at large I feel like sometimes when they discuss racism they always go in with like my audience is that white person looking back and not like that collective of people that could benefit from it and I feel like that sometimes like when I read stuff I'm like yeah, but as, like, a, a Black woman, how does it benefit me? Or, like, how does that conversation can, like, further the, like, issues concerning the topic or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of hockey media sort of falls into two camps of, like, I'm either going to talk about it but I'm going to do it in the most crass way. Like I'm going to make the people I'm trying to give a voice to uncomfortable by asking these questions in a very, for lack of a better word, dumb way. Or you have the other camp that just isn't going to talk about it at all. And when it comes to basically re-traumatizing people, I would much rather they just yes. didn't say anything. Yes. Like if you're going to go, I remember, I think it was after um, the Habs beat the Leafs last year. And one of the journalists asked Carrie Price about residential schools. And I was like, where's, where's the logic in that in terms of like, did you do the research yourself? How were you asking him this? Like, it just didn't make any sense to me when I remember reading that. And I just feel like these journalists don't seem to get that there is a way to lend your voice to someone and not overstep your boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Just for like additional context, Carrie Price is the grandson of residential school survivors. Um, and so he was like in a locker room <laughs> like he hasn't he had no part in that like why don't you ask all the other people <laughs> with colonizer <laughs> with colonizer backgrounds and yeah that's, I think that that's one of the um things that really attracted me to well I wouldn't say attracted me but like sucked me into kind of like the social aspect of hockey seeing kind of the anti-blackness even when we're telling stories uh of black um of black athletes uh I remember one of the worst articles I've ever read was like on ESPN and it was uh, about the Stewart brothers. I think this was like in 2013 and they like talked about hookers because you know that, you know, like that's like one of the, you know, like they push like the poverty porn a lot on, on, on players of color. And like the article mentioned hookers and like mocked like Patois because you know, that's grown up in like a Jamaican kind of neighborhood. Um, and I was just like, how is this? This isn't that long ago, right? Like we ha- we have seen we we see better writing all the time in other sports, um, and it is you know constantly re-traumatizing. And I think it also just spends a lot of time othering these players. Uh, we already know that hockey is not a meritocracy, right? It, it depends on how much 
money you have. And so by the very nature, you're going to have players of color who many often times come from like different socioeconomic backgrounds. And so just kind of like adding that and making it part of their identity, just kind of uh, for the others, I'm a further marginalizes them. And I don't think a lot of these writers realize that. And I also think that a lot of the time they really seek a quote in when when a scandal or something controversial happened instead of just lending their voices to to listen to day-to-day -day struggles or something like that. For example, if something happens, if someone is victim of a racist attack, or if as you mentioned, the residential schools it was i think i think they had like unveiled something about residential schools it was a very hot subject when it happened so they the first thing in their mind is to seek someone for for a quote and i think that's that that's even a little i mean it's 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 problematic in a lot of ways yeah i think as as like recently committed journalism student one of the things I always think about when I'm reading these stories are like did I take completely different classes than anybody else like did no one have to take ethics except for us <laughs> because like there are rules and regulations by all news institutions about like addressing these things delicately and it feels like the hockey media world always forgets these things um and I, I don't even know like if it's, I don't think it's definitely not an individual thing, but like there's a point where it feels like instead of forgetting that they're ignoring things um, and instead of addressing situations of racism, they're spotlighting and showcasing situations of racism for their majority white audiences to partake in. And like you said, it, it's trauma porn. And in that same case, they're, they're just re-traumatizing players and their very small like audience of color yeah I think it would it would be nice if at some point like I would see somebody you know writing about an issue just not having to be like oh my god what bullshit am I going to read today um and I you know I think in I've had this conversation a lot with like my friends who work in in, in hockey media and a lot of them just like sports journalism there isn't a lot of like like they don't have a lot of these conversations right they, they don't they're, they're saying like oh and a lot of them a lot of these people especially like older folks come in with like I'm just here to cover to talk about sports right and so they're having a hard time catching up but I also think in part is like I, this might be rude but like I think a lot of them just kind of like that want like that proximity to celebrity that <laughs> that being a hockey reporter has and I think that it makes it easier for them to just like ignore or not want to talk about those uh, uh, those those issues, especially folks who are like the insiders, right? Because they don't want to ever mess up those, those relationships and, and and you know they don't they want to be the cool guys always, um, even when that's when that's not appropriate. Yeah, it feels like they're all terrified of losing locker room access and like the first the first be the first to hear the news um or the rumors or anything like that um instead of reporting as they should as journalists yeah for sure me no i feel like everything has been said more eloquently than i could currently do <laughs> uh, 
I need to kind of wake up myself. I'm so sorry. <laughs> cool. That's fine. I mean, it's cool. It's chill. We're chill here. We're all chill. Um, how does kind of privilege, how do you think privilege plays a role in who gets to tell uh, these stories about racism? I think, Sylvia, you, you talked a little bit about this, about like creating space. Yeah, um, yeah, I think, like you said, I think there's a difference between representation um, and having space in these in these areas. Like representation is getting these stories told, right? But it's not getting told by the people who should be telling these stories. And that's what is, that's why so much of it is like, not wrong, but so much of it is told wrong. Um, I don't know if you all saw, but recently, and I most likely will pronounce this last name wrong, um, but there have been stories around John Utendale going around, who was the first Black hockey player to sign um, a contract. Um, he didn't get to play, but he was the first Black player to sign a contract. He's from Washington State. Um, and it's just been a lot of white reporters telling these stories, and it hasn't been highlighted because it's not the people who are interested in these stories telling these stories um and I think like that is a huge privilege the fact that you get to get go to a place where you can talk about this passion um, of sports and also bring in your own experience and your own culture and your own people into it is something like that we as people of color, as writers of color, don't often get. Um, and I think a lot of these stories would be told a lot better. They would have a lot more passion in them for sure. The questions would be more interesting if it was the people who've experienced this in the writer's room. I actually think that the privilege is a reflection of the sport itself. It's a mostly white sport. So there's a lot of former players who end up in media jobs. They are white cis men. Um, and also their children or someone they know. It's a very incestuous um, little group. So they all went to school together or they were neighbors or something like that. So I do think that really plays a part in, in sort of not sheltering, but really making the, the world that they, they, how they see the world as a very, very small, small place and very one-sided and, and really narrow-minded um, with only their own interests in mind, I think. I've, I've like, I've always had this like idea, like I would like to do a project where I just track the nepotism in sports media. Can <laughs> you see people coming up and you're like, like I recognize that last name, but like, where have you been for the past? Like you're in your 30s. Like how did you suddenly get a job, you know, uh, like this? Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I think that's, that's one of my biggest like disappointments is I've, you know, I've been in, um, in hockey for, for quite a few years and it's just like seeing like brilliant young you know, black and indigenous people of color come in and try their hardest and then just kind of, they never get the shot, they never get that opportunity and, and it just disappears. And then you start seeing the same people get the internships again and again and again and the social media positions and, you know, positions with teams. And it's like, you know, you guys are, <laughs> you guys are like having this great, you know, recognition of racism in sport. And it's like, 
these very easy things that you can do to fix, you're not doing them right. You're not giving people you know, people's opportunities. I think a, a big part of the conversation as well is like, how does privilege play in just the fact that these stories about racism are being told? Um, because if I were a writer, I wouldn't want to have like focus all my time on players of color just on the racial aspect, like on the uh, the abuse that they're facing, right? Yeah. Like they these are three dimensional people who were brought in like incredibly close knit, usually like communities where culture is a huge part. And I don't, I, at least I've never seen that really displayed in the NHL. And I think that's why like their audience, that like really affects the way their audience communicates with players. That's why players are so boring in the first place because we don't see these aspects of them because all we're getting in the media is these stories of racism and who was affected by this and who did this and how many fines are they going to get? But then nothing to, there, there's no, there's no, comfort there's no care for these players outside of how can we get these like reactionary anti-racist white people to care um because obviously these stories about racism are not aimed for people of color to read yeah or or even like the racist white fans <laughs> to read right like <laughs> we think it's not done in any way that you know they're going to be willing to, to engage with um and it's, yeah, I think you're you're right about like them just not showing anything else, but kind of like that trauma. But I think there's also a problem with like that's that's the relationship that's always been fostered with with hockey players, and also I don't think hockey players have a personality. <laughs> you know, they're so they're so like there's such an insular community. They all like the same thing. They all dress the same. They all you know. I don't know, can we say this? They all date the same type of person. <laughs> like it's just, it's just, you know, there. It's hard to be to have an identity with within the sport, and yeah, like media doesn't um, doesn't help that. And I think, I think there's just like a, such a dysfunctional relationship when teams use media access like as a tool of control, and then the media uses, um, you know, like the narratives that they build as a way to to kind of either get back at them or, or you know, keep them in line uh, as well. I and mean, that's, uh, it, it creates like this really boring and, and just not really great uh, environment. Um, I really do think that hockey media has like the worst sports media. Like, there is not quality content <laughs> in, uh, in this sport at all. I feel it's because they had to switch their narrative and perspective in a way that was not organic. And that's what makes it harder mm. for them to kind of like comprehend how the society works. Because I feel like hockey is kind of a reflection of society. And if in their life, they never had to care about those issues until two years ago, now bringing it in their own work makes it harder because they're still trying to comprehend like how does that work in my own life and I think that's also like interesting to see yeah like I feel like all of us have had to address or, or learn about these these topics in one way or another right like we grew up with we grew up with these realities right uh and you're right like they two years ago was like oh my god racism is a thing like controversial and so it is, it does feel, it does feel a very forced 
Um, but I guess like my question is like, how do, how do we, like the reality is like, we're not gonna, they're not going to suddenly hire, right? Like, uh, you know, people who are, can cover these topics organically. So like, how do we get them there? Do, do we, do we get them there? Is that like a responsibility that we have as, as fans or, or as readers? Um, what I'm about to say might be a little cursed, but I've been like kind of thinking about it. Um, I don't know. I feel for me, I think what I give to hockey is like what also I I don't know, sorry, I'm going to like try to be clear, but there's a certain kind of um, feeling where I'm just like, I don't know if I care enough or if I want to see that in the future. Like I, I just think I'm at a point where if that's the best we can do in 2022, like how can they get better or how like do we do better? Because I feel like they had time to kind of change and to hire new people and to do all that process and didn't want to do it. So I'm just like, do you want your own people to be working around those kind of people like close-minded or like, you know, so I feel like that's the kind of feeling is like, yes, it would be great to see those people out there, but also to see our story tell like a better way. But at the same time, I'm just like, how traumatic will be for those people or like breaking ceilings, whatever, (laughs) like to get there. I'm sorry if it didn't make sense. (laughs) I think there's a problem, like it's a double-edged sword of letting people through the door, but then the, like the other side of the door is just a bunch of spikes that they have to like cross over. So like, how are we protecting folks who want to go in and do the work that is necessary and I think your original question was like about audiences and if we are at task of doing this and on one hand, yes, because, you know, it's our clicks, it's our replies, our comments who do that work to boost these audiences up, right? Like there should be space um, for To Hockey With Love to be a voice for a, a huge voice in in the like hockey media scape, but also it should be you, you can't just do to hockey, like you can't do projects to hockey with love and in this world survive because, you know, time is money and you're, you're, the time that you put into these projects is a lot of money and you are giving a voice to a system that hasn't loved you the way that you love it, which I think is really hard. Um, so on one hand, yes, audiences are responsible, you know, it's, it's their responsibility to uplift these voices but then if the people at the top aren't doing that same work, then that that's like, you're just stagnant. You're just here. And everybody else is like all way, way ahead of you. I totally agree with that. And I think that I'm trying to tie it back into the earlier discussion about nepotism and, you know, former players being the ones who get platforms um, and the privilege to, to tell the stories that are important. And it, the thing that comes to mind is obviously spin chicklets where the the narrative is always, well, you know, they're the number one hockey podcast in the world because that's where players get to be themselves and tell their stories. And I like, there are very few narratives. I hate more than that one. I think it's such bullshit. I don't think they're good interviewers. I think like, (laughs) you know, the episodes I've listened to, it's like, they're not talking about interesting stories. They're talking about like the size of their former teammates, dicks and like 
there are so many other platforms out there that tell players' stories in a much more interesting way and draw out stories from players that are way more interesting than your stereotypical locker room, like jock talk. And it's just, it's, it's this idea in hockey that this is, this is what our fans want, but it's like, which fans, like what fan base are you trying to build? That's a very obvious answer. And there are so many you know, everyone on this podcast, everyone, sorry, not on my podcast. I mean, everyone who's on this panel right now tells better stories, you know, soul on ice, amazing stories. There are so many different people out there trying to tell stories within this sport who just don't get the same kind of coverage and not for any reason other than that, like you said, the voices at the top seem to have a very, very narrow-minded idea of the fan base that they're trying to appeal to. And even from a business perspective, it makes no sense because you're, you're inherently limiting how much you can grow this sport if you are only targeting the same people over and over again. And you're leaving all these other brilliant available markets where, you know, it's an amazing sport, but it's the culture that comes with a sport that alienates all these different markets that they could actually be selling the sport to. So none of it makes any sense. Like even from a capitalist financial point of view, it makes no sense. When they say like that the podcast you mentioned, I'm not going to say, um, like they're growing the game. And it's like, I've literally, for the years I've been into hockey, I've never heard any new fan ever say that that's their favorite podcast. It's always these people who have been into hockey. They look and act a certain way. They're not growing the game they're appealing to a fan base that they like and at the end of the day they're going to keep doing that and kind of going back to like who has the privilege to tell certain stories I do notice that if there are journalists of color or women journalists they sort of get pigeonholed into certain stories and it's like as a black woman I would love to tell stories about other black players but that's not all I want to do. I don't want to wake up every morning and tell the same stories about people who look like me being victimized. I would love to talk about how bad someone's power play is or how ugly the jerseys are. I would love to be invited <laughs> on to talk about every single aspect of hockey, including the things that I like about it. It gets so exhausting constantly having to talk about the things that I hate about it because they're so prevalent. Yeah, that's the conversation that Perry and I have had a lot for, for the newsletter where, like, we're, we map out what we're going to write about. And it's like, I don't want to talk about the things that make me angry about the sport all the time. Like, I want to talk about hockey buds and I want to talk about how fan fiction has done a better job at growing the game than anything sitting chicklets could ever put out there. Um, which actually, I do want Marina to tell me to tell the story about how Brazil got so many. <laughs> so many hockey fans which I think is like the stories that we should be telling because it's funny and it's really cool um yeah re my opinion on on certain podcasts and medias is that they really portray um, people living vicariously through the players stories not only the hosts but also those who listen so I think that's why it's so popular amongst 
a certain group of, of fans because they, they want to have that locker room experience and they want to discuss, oh, I hooked up with that many women, et cetera, et cetera. They want to have that locker room conversation. But the other people are not interested in that. Um, and, and the story, <laughs> the story Gabby mentioned is that actually here in Brazil, we have, I, I think that the, the two biggest fan bases we have is the Bruins and the Islanders. And that's actually because there are like romance novels for, and, and they, they're all set in New England in like universities there. And the girls are obsessed with them and they discover hockey through those books and it's totally okay. And then they, they, the second team is because Matt Barzell is extremely popular here in Brazil. I, I, can't, I can't explain why, I don't know, um, but he's very, very popular. So Brazil has like this huge following for the Islanders because of him. So what they should be doing is like put him next, next to Neymar on, on a commercial. <laughs> yes. That will sell. People in Brazil will see it. That's how you grow the game. Yeah, that was all people should the really, yeah, and the thing is, people really disregard the fact that teenage girls can be very a very interesting market to grow. Yeah, and young and girls. Yeah, not just interesting, like they're powerful. Like they have they got money to spend, you know. Exactly. <laughs> think people, yeah. Exactly. Like, uh, People have brought up like the um, like the One Direction to Hockey RPF pipeline, <laughs> which like I'm excited for somebody to write a thesis on <laughs> so that I can read. Like yeah, you know, and it's it's like all of these unexpected ways which which are growing the game, and those are all driven by you know young young people and people from you know marginalized communities. Um, and you're right, like nobody nobody at the top is seeing that. And I think my most controversial opinion is like, as much as I love the sport and as much as like, I, I do work and, and I love it, like, I would be okay if the sport ate itself up, you know, like, I was like, fine, let it die, you know, because sometimes there are things you, you can't fix and, you know, seeing kind of like, this like emerging, incredibly xenophobic, like rhetoric that's, that's come out in the past week, I was like, you know, what does it mean in the long term for these conversations about racism that we just aren't having? You know, because that's you can't decry like one form of bigotry and then just be like, but this other form of bigotry is okay, right? Because it always comes back. It always comes back, and it's you know, it's like kind of like this hateful, uh, hateful culture. So I don't know. Like, I think like the way that we and Perry and I try to handle it is like we're just going to write about what we want, right? But we also recognize that this is like more of a passion project for us. And at some point, you know, I'm going to law school. She's finishing up her MA at some point. Um, and like, that's it, right? Like they, they lost, you know, they're going to lose lose other people as we move on. And so, yeah, I, I think it is, it is kind of like a conundrum, <laughs> like whether or not we have the responsibility. Cool. So, so like, as you guys as like folks in the media or as future folks in the media, like what are some strategies members can employ to like 
strengthen their their writing talk to the young girls i think talking to that and developing that specific base of fans is probably the only thing that is going to save hockey as we know it right now um because i want to go back to that one direction to hockey player or hockey fan pipeline because i was on tumblr at the time i guess they still on but i was on i was a one direction fan i was the one direction fan like i was out here with like <laughs> followers and stuff but i remember the day zane left three days later around like that same week i started getting hockey posts on my tumblr like timeline right and i just saw friends and fans just move immediately i started losing followers and i saw people pop up with like newly completely redesigned um like blogs and they started posting edits they started posting these like news blogs about these players um fan cams were coming into like the mainstream at that time and like they were creating these beautiful fan cams and videos and youtube videos explaining hockey to each other and just like bringing this forward and that's that's kind of where hockey needs to go and hockey media specifically needs to take advantage of the way young women are using social media young queer people are using social media to connect with each other um and to build stories around places that honestly don't have stories to tell sometimes like they're doing it themselves and they they have to start taking tips from there like literally forcing narrative so i was gonna say i've tweeted before like hockey tumblr and hockey twitter has done more to grow this game than the nhl ever has and i totally agree with you sylvia i think that's that's where they need to go um because and it ties back to the earlier point about passion projects it's that fans who care enough about it to be doing these passion projects are the people who love it enough to actually grow it and reach other people and like you said Gabby it's it's unfortunate because you know even for us this the broadcast started as a passion project like we thought we were going to have like 200 listeners maybe and it was just going to be us like screaming into the void and it just like we got lucky and it blew up but you know it's not these these kinds of passion projects come in waves and you end up losing a lot of people because we all have lives outside of this we're not making any money off of it it's not something that it's not an actual platform that we can that's sustainable because we all have other jobs and other things going on and until they start to take it seriously and turn to turn to these fans and take take us seriously you know they're losing out on a lot of ideas on a lot of new avenues and it's just it's really sad yeah i think you know like a good fan cam is much more effective than anything a social media team can can presently um can presently put out um yeah Haley, like you're also a journalism student so like how do you think what do you think would make people's writing better it's cliche, but like just thinking outside the box, I mean, there's always going to be like an obvious story. And I mean, you like you said, someone should write about that pipeline of like, 
it, that's something that's always fascinated me about like going from fandom to fandom because even though there was like a period in, of time in there I was a One Direction fan I was forcing my mom to take me to concerts and I always wonder like what would have happened if <laughs> I was like a hockey fan sooner like would I have been forcing her to take me to hockey games sooner and all of that stuff so I just I think looking outside of a very narrow like when you're a writer it's very easy to kind of go to one place and stick to it and I just think looking at different avenues and even looking at different sports like a lot of the journalism that I consume has nothing to do with hockey because I am not a fan of the way hockey media does their job I mostly look at basketball media um, I think a lot of journalists, especially a lot of Black women and journalists, are doing an amazing job. Uh, so I just think looking at different places is kind of the best way to, to help your journalism. I just want to, like, piggyback on something we said about, like, how media, um, I think it was Sam who brought it up, but I feel like the, the what I think that's interesting to see is because media is kind of transforming itself but also like not making as much money so I feel like all those people don't see the benefit of strengthening their writing because they kind of know that they have their spot for lives so I feel like that's also the thing is like I don't know I know you ask what are some strategies but I feel like maybe put some fire on their ass <laughs> in some ways and try to like force them to be like, what if your job is on the line? You know, like, what would you do? Because I feel that's when you reinvent yourself and you try to, like Haley said, think outside of the box because you're like, I want to keep being relevant. And I think that's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I feel like because they don't have that in their back of the mind because they kind of... Um, sorry, I'm going to say a word in French, uh, take it to Aki. Uh, like, they, they kind of, like, don't want to force themselves anymore. Yeah, and I think, like, I think a lot about, like, legacy and kind of what I want to leave behind, right, as, like, I, I transition throughout my life. I'm, like, it's kind of sad seeing, like, all these hockey journalists who've, like, had prolific careers and then, like, they just become, like, the butt of hockey twitter jokes or like they just kind of like fade fade into 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 nothingness and like i mean like you know i think that happens to a lot of people but it's like you 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 work so hard you you know you you like this is like what was kept you going for so long right and you why you work so hard to keep this position so like why aren't you like at least trying to do something that you you know you'll even be a little bit more you know more more memorable yeah, I think another thing, I think Haley pretty much said this, but I think thinking outside the box has to be removing yourself from the narrative that hockey has already created. And every time I think of like the hockey narrative, it's that one picture um, that's like, um, I can't, I don't know what the word is in English. No telenovelas, only hockey. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, no, we need more telenovelas. We need more of these like compelling stories that, like it's yeah you can add your numbers in there and your predictions but like center it around something that builds people you know that builds characters not just 
you know, something flat, you know, a, a landscape that we can gaze at. We want something tangible. And I think that's what a lot of, as soon as you enter the sports world, or not the sports world, but hockey, that is something that you miss. Um, there, they, There's no community building in a lot of, you know, the, the writers, um, you know, they post their, here's my article, bye. Here's my article, bye. Like that is their entire Twitter profile. Like, who are you connecting with? Who are you, who, who is like recognizing who is your audience? Who's following you? Who's replying to your things? And what do they want to see? And I think that's where the real like individual change starts. And then as your years pass, maybe we'll finally get to like a systemic change, but it's the, where the individual counts at this point. Yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting point you're bringing up with like copywriters not engaging with um with their audience because a lot of them get so much I mean it's also just like the nature of like who the fans are a lot of them do get a lot of shit for even being like mildly um you know like mildly I don't I don't want to say woke but like mildly like addressing issues as it should be and you know like tons of writers with like anti-semitism or just like people in you know in their like in their DM saying kind of like the most foul shit so it is also just like they, they do exist in like this difficult place where like they those who do care also find themselves being you know harassed and um and just kind of like abused like you know some of the things that they say are, are awful so it's also just I guess from for me it's like how do I how do I support them as they're trying as they're trying to to do this as well right um now if you get to like from a personal point of view like the people that I that I have you know relationships with um not as like a so it's like wider um wider thing um but yeah I don't know being a hockey journalist seems like it really really sucks uh, <laughs> cool. uh so what are kind of like some of the other voices that you guys think we should be looking out for like for the folks that you think deserve bigger platforms and um, that you would you know, want to shout out, shout out. I think in general, we have to look at up and coming people um, who are sort of like fresh faces and fresh minds as opposed to the old guard. I think as you all have said before, um, they are very, it's sort of like, I think, I feel like they're very stuck in the way they do journalism. The, the current hockey media, at least the, the older journalists, I think from, because of, because of Twitter and the internet in general being in social media, I think there have been um, newer, younger voices that um, are trying to do something different. I don't think it's going to be like a super fast change because everything takes a very long time and we as we've discussed before um there's a lot of resistance from the upper levels um and there's a lot of pushback if you try to do something different but i think it's very important to to give a chance to younger voices i know i personally and this is just for me because i do work with uh two other publications i like uh reading stuff that my direct peers have created I often find a lot of inspiration from the people I work with 
on my paper, um, on my school's paper versus, you know, in journalism school, they do the cliche, like, follow your favorite writer and model after them. And it's like, that's great. But a lot of the time, like we said, if we're in a, in a space like hockey, we don't want to model ourselves after those people. So I often like looking directly at my peers uh, for inspiration or just for pleasure. Like I really love, especially for the culture desk I write on, they're writing some really great stuff. So that's people I try to uplift and support. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I feel like I've learned more from people like that don't work in traditional media spaces uh, than I have from like actual, um, actual hockey, hockey media. I think like, like shout out to my besties uh, at Hockey Society. I think they really do like an amazing work. Um, and they've been doing it for a long time and, and putting in, in the work and I feel like they don't get as appreciated uh appreciate it as much um and I think the broadcast has also been really cool like there's been some really cool you know just like palettes um I mean the guests that you guys have had um I still think all the time about the conversation you guys have had about disabilities and sports and how like a lot of people eventually you know we all end up you know end up disabled at some point in our lives and so those are like those are the things that stick with me those are the things the conversations um that I have um, and I tell all of which is what Marina is involved with and just kind of like the entire movement that is happening in Brazil. Um, that's like um, such an like organic growth of a fan base and it's really cool to kind of like see it start like emerging and we're like, what's working and, and what's not working and, and what are the things that, that are attracted, um, attracted to attracting folks? Yeah, I think um, from what you just said, like one, some of the, some, some of the things that attract me most to just the fan base and hockey in general is the way people take the non-writing aspect of the media and tell stories around that. You know, uh, Joe, who runs not a fan underscore Joe on Twitter, and like the creation of, of all the art that she does and how that really tells a story of where we as fans want hockey to go to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, the new, oh man, the new jerseys that were just released, um, riveters i believe like those black I think, rosy jerseys yeah so yeah, cool. those really tell a story of what where like we are because you know sports and society that's interlinked all the time like i think that really tells a story where we are in history right now what fans want to see um what women's hockey fans want to see and who the audience is and i think the same with mia who's flyer switch on twitter um with all of the art that she produces like that both of those things tell huge, huge stories from one younger audiences, which we've talked about, but also from an audience standpoint, just like looking at these um, things that they can produce from, you know, players hitting a puck on an, on ice. That I think that's awesome. And I think that is, those are people who we should look to, um, not just as, you know, artists or videographers, but also as writers including them in these writing projects, you know, because a good story always has a good picture connected to it. So why not have it be this, this kind of picture? Yeah. Like, uh, I think that's a, that's a good point. Like, um, I think it's, I don't know what she's name, but uh, she has Serrano, uh, who wrote basketball and other things. Um, and he really incorporated kind of like the art 
and, and writing. And he's, you know, at this point, he's had three best-selling books um, with this like kind of like really unique style. So yeah, it is it is a it is a good point to bring up. Of, like we can tell stories in, in other ways. All right, so this is kind of corny, but like, what do you guys like envision for hockey? Like, what are the like if we if you know the conditions were ideal, if people were actually listening to us and, and making change based on what we said today? You know, like what what would the future of hockey be for you guys? I would end the white male domination on all levels of the sport. I think <laughs> it could really use that, but uh, <laughs> that's that's like a far-fetched goal. Um, but I think that I've been thinking about it, and I think that maybe the NHL could really use um, a documentary series like Drive to Survive with like the manufactured drama and the narratives. Yeah. I think it would it would really help selling the sport to to people who might have never wanted to watch hockey before. I think it would would be really cool to to have something like that. Um, even with the made up narratives, I think it would give the players personalities that they maybe don't have. So it would be super interesting. <laughs> But on a serious note, I think really to to i think that the sport needs to be pulled into the 21st century um i don't know if it will ever happen i don't know if i'll be um still into it if, if it ever does but i'm i'm an optimist so hopefully one day it will happen. Yeah, I piggybacking off of that, I feel like hockey would be so much better and would, it would do itself so many favors if it leaned into messiness. I know that sounds really bad, like as a journalist to say like, you need to be messy. But I feel like hockey journalists, hockey players are so worried about how they come off and looking uptight and looking classy. And a lot of the time that's just a dog whistle because they're comparing themselves to leagues that are made up majority of black and brown people. But I feel like if they just stopped worrying about being the good boys, they would do so much better. Like people like messiness. People like seeing players be stupid and gag. Hockey players are good at that. So maybe you should just showcase that and it would be better. I, I just feel like in the future, I would like to see things be more relaxed. And I really think you only get there by first addressing the problems. And then from there, you would be able to tell funny and silly stories. And yeah. Yeah, I think I would second that in the sense that I feel like everything that's fun in, in hockey It's kind of everything that they think is not proper to act. Like, I feel like learning about all those kind of, like, messy story behind the scene, that's what get people more, like, involved and wanting to know more. So, yeah, I would uh, agree with Haley on that point. <laughs> If we're talking about, like, messy people, they're, they're probably the messiest ones. I mean, also, like, on a serious note, like, I think that's why they, they work so hard to like seem like they're boring and 
and like the good Canadian boy or whatever because they are in their personal lives hot ass messes. So um, you nailed yeah. the, it's the Canadiana like this idea that they always try to sell of like oh they're just like these good boys from small towns working on farms in the off season and it's like if you could just let go of that because so much of that narrative is also so white like and so classist just burn that narrative and get rid of it start talking to start talking to every person who's on this panel go on tumblr like eric carlson on tumblr more give me give me more of that kind of mess Um, but it's it's interesting that you like this kind of like idea. Hockey has been used as a tool of nation building for Canada, right? Canada did not have to fight a revolutionary war the way that the United States did, and so it's kind of always like as like its shadow. Um, and so because what we know as Canada and you know hockey kind of like emerged at the same time, they you know it really kind of tied into to the propaganda of like what is Canada and who Canada is. And, and so they kind of like use it as like this, you know, to sell us like the white settler imagination, right? Of like, you know, this great empty spaces and, you know, playing on a pond. It's like, well, there were people there before before you were there. Um, and so I think that hockey also works really, really hard to kind of like maintain that narrative as well. It's like, you know, or this great, this great, this great Canadian people and like Canadian heritage and tradition or whatever that means. Um, sorry to all the comments I'm, you have just insulted. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think, I mean, honestly, I don't want to be like, I, I would like to see more cool narratives, more relaxed narratives. I'm, you know, at the very least, I would just want to see like the young people that want to work in hockey get a fair shot at working in the sport. Um, and having people who have the access, have the ability to create this position, invest the time, or just three times, like how can how can how can we do that? How how can we open up? How can we hold these spaces for you guys? Um, I'm you know, I'm I I don't want to like I'm realistic, and I know that like that's the that's all I can ask for at, at this point this point in time. All right, does anybody have anything else they want to? address or talk about we we can just wrap up but thank you guys so much it was really nice to meet you i was like genuinely honored that you guys were all willing to do this and i I hope to work with you guys more in the future thank you so much everyone 